Well, today is uh, Bible Sunday. It is one of the milestones here at uh, Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. And today, sometime during the morning, uh, our two-year-olds and our third graders and our seventh graders will be receiving uh, age-appropriate Bibles. And folks, we're all about spiritual growth here at Anderson Hills. And we know that that if uh, we are in God's Word on a daily basis, that we will grow spiritually. And mom and dad, you can be a, a great example to uh, your children by simply letting them watch you read your Bible. Uh, I know a lot of us are using um, uh, Bible apps. makes it a little bit hard, but get your Bible out. Let your kids see you reading it. You are an example to them. We want to just ask our, our third graders and our seventh graders to stand because we want to pray over them, and we want to pray over their Bibles. So if you're in third grade, uh, seventh grade, whether or not you've yet received a Bible today, would you guys stand? We want to pray for you. Not a single one. Oh, there we are, over there. You guys are all sitting together. Where? Are you standing up? <laughs> I'm sorry. You are, as Jonathan said, you are beloved. All of us are beloved in God. Let's pray for these young people, would you? Lord, bless the Bibles given today, which is your living word given to us to be shared, to be read, and most importantly, to be acted upon through the worship of our lives. Bless these students who read it, and may your word be a lamp for their feet and a light to their path. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's celebrate these young people, shall we? Well, today was, or this week has been a rough week in Cincinnati, hasn't it? And uh, a lot of our members um, work down there in the Fifth Third building, and uh, I think it's just really kind of um, like a, it's, it's scary, it's terrifying. And then you think about, you know, we're just uh, a couple of days before we remember uh, 9-11, and uh, this world is, um, is uh, not a safe place, but we have a, a mighty God who loves us and cares for us, and and I think that we need to just uh, take a moment and, and to pray. Let's just bow our heads. And God, we do pray for our city. And we pray for our country and for this world, God, for your peace. For you are the Prince of Peace. And God, genuine, authentic peace will only come about when we give our lives to you. And so we pray for that. We pray for healing, God, and, and strength for the leaders of our, of our city and, um, and for those who are the victims and for their families. And God, we just pray that um, your Holy Spirit will be the comforter in all those homes and all those who are uh, affected by this. And God, we just commend um, them into your care, and we give you thanks that you love us. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Speak to us this morning through your word. We want more of you. More of you, God. Come. Amen. Well, somebody once said that the, the Christian life is not hard. It's actually impossible. And maybe you find that true in your life. 
Uh, after I came to, to faith in Christ, some of those sinful habits in my life left almost immediately. Some of them took some prayer and fasting. And, and you know what? Some things just don't seem to want to let go in my life. I wonder if I'm going to struggle with them for the rest of my life. And, and maybe you have the same experience. You see, living the Christian life the way that you uh, have been taught, the way that you know is right, the way you know it's supposed to be lived, and yet maybe you feel like you're always falling short. Maybe you struggle with an uncontrollable addiction. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe it's sex or gluttony. Maybe it's, it's um, unbridled materialism or a foul mouth. And you swear you're never going to do it again, uh, but you do. <laughs> and not just once, but you do it over and over again. And you keep thinking that you're going to master this and keep it in check by your own strength of will, but if the truth be told, it has mastered you. And, and in your heart, you know you will never be free of it. You are a slave uh, to this thing that controls you. Well, we are in week three of our series on, on Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's been challenging. Don't you find it? Romans challenging? It's hard for me, the preacher. In fact, um, uh, the apostle Peter wrote in one of his letters, he said, uh, Brother Paul's letters are hard to understand. So I figure if the apostle Peter had trouble understanding some of Paul's letters, we're going to as well. But what did we learn the first week? We are all sinners, aren't we? No big surprise there, right? If you didn't know that, uh, certainly your family knew that. And uh, we learned that through Adam's uh, rebellion against God's rule, sin entered this world, and, and both Jew and Gentile are under its power. But, but God has made a way for us to be free from sin's power through the atoning work of Christ on the cross. And if we place our faith, if we place our trust, uh, it, it, we are declared righteous before God. Then in chapter 6, Paul deals with how we are to live this out. He says, since we've been declared righteous in Christ, we have to start living the righteous life. And we do that, he says, by dying. What? Yeah, he says, he says we die to sin, that just as Christ died and rose again, so in baptism, we, we die to sin. We die to the old way of life when we go under the waters of baptism, and when we come up, we are resurrected like Christ into this new way of living. Uh, we see that best, you know, we sprinkle and immerse here, uh, but in immersion, you see that more powerfully. You know, you're going under the water. The old person in you is dying to that old way of life, and when you're coming up, you are being resurrected out of the water into this, this brand new kind of life. Paul reminds his readers, though, of one important thing. He says, you cannot escape sin. You can't. You cannot escape sin. But he says, you can be rescued from it. That Jesus has rescued us from the power of sin so it doesn't have to control us anymore. Sin, he says, no longer needs to be your master. Let righteousness be your master. And then he brings us to chapter 7. 
And so Paul is trying to explain in chapter 7 the place of the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, you know, the Ten Commandments and, and all those things we read about in the Old Testament. And he anticipates that some of his readers may twist or misunderstand what he's saying and, and make the accusation that that Mosaic law is sinful. Paul says, absolutely not. He says the, the law, the Old Testament law, is, was holy because it reveals the perfect will of God. But he says it's temporary. It's temporary because it has fulfilled its function of leading people to Christ. And he says it's limited because it taught us what is wrong, but it had no power to rescue us from slavery to sin. And then we move up to, to, to uh, verse 7 through 14. Paul switches from using we to the first person singular and present tense, I. And so scholars have been asking, okay, who is this I? And they point out that Paul is using a, a rhetorical device called speech in character, that he is speaking here as if he were Adam. And he says, once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. And, and every Jewish a listener in Rome would have known only Adam would have been alive before the law. And then in verse 14, something interesting happens again as Paul is writing right in the middle of the verse. Listen and see if you can catch the, the change. He says this. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law, the, the Mosaic law, is good. And it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. But I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So did you notice that, that change again? Paul, again, switches from we to I. So what is Paul describing here? Is he, is he describing his present circumstances? Is Paul struggling with sin in his life? I mean, he seems to be describing this, this civil war that's going on inside of him. He, he knows what Christ requires of him, and he knows what kind of person that, that he wants to be, but he can't get there. He feels this helplessness to change. Now, many scholars say that, that Paul is looking at his past life, that he is describing himself before his conversion, before his Damascus Road experience. After all, he describes himself as someone who is carnal, a soul, or still in the flesh, sold under sin, that he seems to be a prisoner, not somebody who is enjoying the freedom and, and joy in the gospel. And many Wesleyan Methodist scholars and, and many of the Eastern Orthodox fathers would agree with this understanding. 
But other scholars, including St. Augustine, the Reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin, a lot of the Western church fathers disagree. They would say, uh-uh, look at verse 22. He delights in God's law. Uh, his will is, is towards uh, the good, and he doesn't want to do evil. This is a Christian, they say. Besides, the more like Christ we become, the more painful sin is in our life. Sin can and does continue in the life of a believer. So which is it? Is this a, a flashback to Paul's a pre-Damascus road a days? Or is this Christian Paul who finds himself still struggling with sin? I actually saw this played out. Uh, this has been some years ago, but uh, I was in a, a group with uh, some pastors and uh, an ecumenical group, and we were planning out a, a joint worship service together, and, and the Lutheran pastor had, had put together most of the, the worship elements, and he was now kind of giving it to us to read over just to see what we thought. And, and as we were silently reading through the, the service of worship, I noticed that, the, that the, 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 the Wesleyan pastor's face was growing more and more concerned. And... Um, I could tell there was going to be a, a point of disagreement. And the point of contention was a prayer of confession. It was Lutheran style. So those of you who are former Lutherans may identify with this. Almighty God, we poor and miserable sinners confess unto thee that we are by nature sinful and unclean and that we have sinned against thee by thought, word, and deed. And the Wesleyan pastor was spoke up and he said, now why do we need to say this? Uh, Christians are not miserable sinners. Christ has set us free from sin. And, and the Lutheran pastor, he was so stunned that, that he was speechless. And I knew what each pastor was thinking about the other one. You're a heretic. <laughs> You're wrong and I'm right. Well, we finally were able to agree, made a compromise and uh, that we can all put our stamp of approval on it. But folks, this has been an ongoing debate for about a thousand years, so I'm probably not going to resolve this for you today. So maybe there's a third option. Maybe what Paul is referring to here in, in chapter 7 is a person either before their conversion or after their conversion, but they're trying to rely on their own efforts to be righteous. And the result is they are finding themselves being beaten back again and again and again. And that's exactly the way I feel sometimes. And I bet you do too. You try and you fail. You try and you fail. You know the kind of person that you want to be, but you can't get there. And so you give up. Maybe you come to worship and you sing some songs. You listen to the prayers. You... You try to read your Bible and you try to pray, but, but you don't experience the freedom and the joy that you thought you would have. And you feel like giving up because you can't take the pain of continually trying and failing because it's so exhausting. And folks, that's the Christian life that I lived for many years. And the message I want to share with you today is that probably the single greatest breakthrough in my own walk and relationship with Christ is it doesn't have to be that way. Because this is such a frustrating way to live. 
You see, Jesus not only died for forgiveness of sins, but he rose again so you can live a life, so he can live his life through you. And that's the key. That's the difference. You see, it's not God's desire that Christian moms are exhausted. It's not God's desire that, that Christian men are, are completely spent and, and flabbergasted in their complete inability to live the, the joy-filled, spirit-filled life. But I'm here to tell you today that this exhausting life can be a different kind of life. And it's simply this, that God has made no provision for you to live the Christian life. What? You're not supposed to be a good Christian. <laughs> You're not supposed to be a good Christian. Now sure, there's self-discipline. There's choice. There's your free will. There's participation. But the power for the Christian life is not for you. It's not through you. It's not you. The power for the Christian life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Jesus Christ raised from the dead by his Holy Spirit living his life through you. It's not you being more loving. It's you cooperating with Jesus Christ's desire to love people through you. It's about more, it's about resignation. It's more about resignation and surrender than it is about your discipline or your conscious, active choosing on your part. The primary thing is Christ in you. Folks, I know I have tried. I, I, I've tried discipline. I pride myself on my self-discipline. But what I found out is that I'm broken. I'm broken. I don't work right. And even in my saved condition, that fallenness is still there. And Paul gets to the end of chapter 7, and he, he ends with these words. Listen, he says this, Wretched man that I am. Do you sense his frustration? Do you sense the fact that he's exhausted? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And maybe you've wondered the same thing. God, what's it going to take? What's, it go what's going to turn the corner for me, God? What's going to get me forward in all, into all the things you promised, God? God, you couldn't have, have risen from the dead for me to languish here in defeat and discouragement and fear and despair. And Paul's not going to leave us there either because he answers this question in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's it. Thanks be to God is an exclamation of discovery. The real provision for you and I is through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the Christian life in four words. Again, I'll say it, folks. Listen, Christ has made no provision for you to live the Christian life, only to live his life through you. I'll tell you, man, there, there, there are lots of days when I could identify with Paul's words, wretched man that I am. And one day I got to the point I was simply so frustrated and discouraged that I prayed, Lord, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do that. Every failed um, effort to live a righteous life is, is simply a, a penetrating and, and painful a truth of my weakness. 
God, you're going to have to do something in me. And so by faith, I choose to let you live your life through me. And that prayer of desperation, I began to see change almost immediately. Things that once had a hold on my life no longer did. And, and one day, a couple weeks after that, I, I was reading one of my heroes, John Wesley, and, and I was startled to see that his experience was identical to mine. Listen to what he wrote. Now, remember that Wesley wrote in 18th century England, so his use of language is a little bit different, but I think you'll be able to understand what he's saying. And this is what he wrote. I was much buffeted with temptation, but I cried out. They fled away. They returned again and again. And I often lifted up my eyes, and he sent me help from his holy place. And herein I found the difference between this and my former state chiefly consisted. I was striving, yea, fighting with all my might under the law as well as under grace. But then I was sometimes, if not often, conquered. That's where I found myself. But now... I was always conqueror. And we find this idea running throughout the New Testament. But a lot of times we just miss it. So let me just share with you a couple of scriptures um, that may help us to get a little bit more clarity on this. And, and first is Romans 5.8. And we love this verse. Paul writes that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, but now look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, we are saved for eternity through his death, but we are saved for the rest of this human life on earth by his life. Jesus Christ is alive this moment, and he's here right now, and it was never his attempt to make us, to stand off to the side and watch us struggle through the Christian life, to watch us try to live for him, because he knows that we cannot do it. That's not the way God set it up. Another verse on this point is Galatians 2.20. Paul writes this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see the difference? That's the Christian life. Let's go on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul asserts a, a great thing. He says, man, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Maybe you feel that way sometimes. No matter where I turn, there's always stuff to deal with, Right? Your life like that too? And then Paul goes on and says, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Now, perplexed, he means, I don't know what to do. And you've been there too. You've over in your life, you've cried over and over, God, I don't know what to do. God, I don't know how to, to deal with this situation. It's an awful place to be. But Paul says, okay, we're perplexed. Yeah, but we're not driven to despair. We don't know what to do, but we don't lose hope. And then he goes on, he says, he says, we're persecuted but not forsaken. Paul says, people are coming after me, people are opposing me, people are challenging my faith. And then Paul says, we're struck down, but we're not destroyed. In other words, when Christians get knocked down, they, they get up again. But that's not the end. How, Paul? How are we persecuted but not forsaken? How are we struck down 
but not destroyed. And he tells us in verse 10 and 11, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So, so Paul is saying here, it's not because I, I'm trying harder. It's not because I, I need a pep talk. It's because Paul was always carrying in his body the dying of our Lord Jesus Christ so that the life of Christ may be manifested in his body. Jesus Christ is the Christian life. The power of Christ is in us. One more scripture to make my point. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now I can always remember reading some of these passages and, and feeling overwhelmed. Paul would say things like, uh, we urge you brothers to admonish the idol. Okay, you know, I can call people lazy. That's, that's not so hard to do. And then he goes on and says, encourage the faint-hearted. Okay, I, I try to do that. I try to be an encourager. Help the weak. I support that. Be patient with them all. Okay, that's getting a little bit more challenging. It's a little harder to do. But he doesn't stop there. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Okay, man, that's a lot. <laughs> but we're not done. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't quench the spirit, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Folks, you cannot do this. But Paul doesn't leave us there. Verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He, not me, he will surely do it. And so all I have to do is surrender. At every moment, pretty much, resign my mind, my emotions, and my will to Christ Jesus and let him live that life through me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so my part is to trust. My part is to surrender. My part is to give up my life. And God's part is to catch you. God's part is to hold you. God's part is to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You see, when I, when I try to stop being angry, when I try to be patient, I can't. But when I surrender my whole life, my whole will to God, I'm ready to receive the power to do what I can't do. Folks, half measures, self-improvement plans will not do the job. I have to let go. I think it's really interesting that in AA, this third step is not make a decision to stop drinking. Yeah, right. That's real easy to do. You can't stop an addiction by aiming directly to, to stop the addiction. You have to aim at a deeper life change. It's called the principle of, of, of indirection. Maybe you've heard of it. But that's not only true of, of addiction issues. Lots of problems will not yield to this headlong assault powered by your individual will alone. I can't stop being proud by trying to be humble. <laughs> I, I can't stop uh, trying to defeat lust by, by not lusting. I, I can't stop lying by trying hard to stop lying. I have to surrender. 
I have to surrender my life and my will. And to surrender my life means that I commit to following Jesus no matter what the particular outcomes are. Oftentimes I find as, as a pastor, people want to negotiate deals with God. And we want to still be in charge. God, I, I need a little help with this project that I'm struggling with. You know, that, folks, that's, that's not surrender. That's pseudo-surrender. And people will say, you know, I, I tried trusting God. I, I really wanted a, a spouse. I really wanted to get married, and I tried it, but it didn't work, so I gave up. Uh, I, I really I asked God to help me with my anxiety and my depression, but it didn't work, so I stopped. Folks, here's what you have to do. You move for that deeper life change. I, I practice the six habits. I try prayer and, and worship, and, and I do a fearless moral inventory. I confess to God. I, I repent on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. And I renounce those negative thoughts and those feelings as soon as they come, and I, I ask God to remove my shortcomings. And I find strength, and I find courage, and, and following pa Paul's admonition in Galatians to let Christ live in me and through me. One day at a time. And I try to serve others. Not, not to earn brownie points, but because I know this is the way of life that Christ taught us. And I, I receive the power from God to do what my will cannot do. I surrender my life and I surrender my will. And that means that I seek to make my will conform to God's will. And so in every situation, I ask, God, what's your will for me here? Who can I serve? Where do I need to surrender? How can I be my best self? I surrender my demand to be in charge of my life. I surrender my control. I surrender my desire to run the world. And Paul clearly teaches us here that once we are born again, that sin's power is broken in our lives, that Christ has rescued us, rescued us from sin with a capital S, and he's made us alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Our old sinful nature is crucified with him. We are baptized into his death, and through his resurrection, we are raised to a new life. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? from this body of death. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come. Fill this place. Fill our hearts. Open us up to the change that you want to do in us. God, all of the self-will, all of the self-discipline in the world will not change us. But if we will surrender ourselves completely to you and let you live that Christ-like life through us, God, what joy, what freedom we will find. Amen.